Welcome back to the 17th episode of Power, Wealth or Purpose. In this episode, Oscar interviews Jakob von Weizsäcker, the finance minister of the Saarland, a state in Germany. After having worked as a researcher in economics, Jakob spent some time in the Federal Economic Ministry and at the World Bank before being elected as a member of the European Parliament in 2014. Today, he's appointed the Minister of Finance in the Saarland and he explains to Oscar how his day looks like, how his previous stations have shaped his style of politics and how his non-political interests influenced him as a person. Oscar, take it away. Okay, uh, Jacob, lovely to have you here. Uh, we just had a little chat. I've, I've really enjoyed it, but I'm looking forward to getting into this interview. Um, you are the Minister for Finance and Sciences in a German state called Saarland. Can you just tell us what does your job entail in layman's terms? Yes, Oscar, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be with you, uh, with a fellow United World College student. And um, my job is, uh, as the name suggests, mostly about finances. And I happen to be in a um, relatively small state in Germany, just shy of one million inhabitants, with a relatively modest budget. The overall size of the budget is around six billion euros. And um, the main task of uh, um, uh, me as a finance minister is to help prioritize um, those revenues to make certain that we fund the kind of expenditures um, and the mix of expenditures that our region requires. Thank you very much. We've gotten a great sort of picture of what your job as finance minister entails. And I kind of want to work our way through your life towards uh, this job and then um, pick up some advice along the way. You take us through like I, you had several university experiences. Um, where were they and and what were they like? So I started off um, after Atlantic College. I started off at Bonn University uh, studying mathematics, computer science and physics which I greatly enjoyed um, and yeah. had a wonderful time doing that. Um, these studies were then interrupted by a, a, a kind of social service. At the time, we still had a conscription army in Germany. And so I had to spend one and a half uh, years uh, instead of military service. I opted um, for um, a, a, a brilliant program focused on um, improving relations between uh, Germany and Poland. And for historic reasons, as you can imagine, especially at the time, uh, it was a huge challenge to organize this. This was still uh, in the aftermath of, of communism. Um, I, I got to meet, by the way, um, during the course of my time in Poland, uh, Leszek Balcerowicz, um, the then um, new uh, Minister of Finance of, of, of Poland. Um, but uh, my main task there was to organize youth, youth exchange schemes. And while I was there, I saw an interesting newspaper article um, about a, a, an elite French university um, which had just opened its doors to a, a European intake. Um, and uh, uh, then I applied to that. Uh, luckily, they accepted me. And then I went on to study um, maths and physics mostly at this Ecole Normale Supérieure uh, in Lyon. Uh, which was a great experience. I enjoyed Bonn a lot. I enjoyed in French or in, in, in French, yes. And so, so that was a very good experience. And, th and then later on, for my PhD studies, I moved to Munich University 
uh, for a PhD program, which I didn't complete because there were very exciting professional things to be done uh, and they got into in the way of, uh, um, of completing my PhD. But as you can see, there, it wasn't a grand plan that I set out to do anything yeah. particular. Um, I think the plan was really to uh, study things that I enjoy, to study things that I'm good at, and perhaps also to study things that uh, would give me um, non-trivial insights uh, that, uh, and the kind of insights and the kind of skills um, that uh, might be more difficult to pick up later on in life. And um, I would probably start with uh, uh, the languages, um, English and, and French, uh, and they've certainly served me well. And um, maybe I should add a third language, uh, which most people don't consider to be a language, but um, I think picking up mathematics as a language um, that was also quite useful for many things I, I, I did later in life, even though in my current position, um, uh, addition, <laughs> subtraction, multiplication and division is probably just as much maths as I require. I think before we get to the job opportunities that you just mentioned, um, that you had during your time in Munich, I want to ask about what you think is important to do while at uni so you mentioned three things first of all you did things that you enjoyed second of all you did things that you were good at and third of all you did things that give you important insights um, into the way that the world works it sounds like um, it was very intellectually driven and very interest focused and less focused on um, the kind of job that you want to do later is that would you still recommend that to people our age or how do you see that now uh, first of all I, I would say it's a fair assessment of what i ended up doing um uh, and and secondly i i would say uh, there are certain studies where you um, end up having the kind of skills that are difficult to pick up later on in life it's difficult to learn a language at the age of 40. Right. It's difficult yeah, yeah. to, I don't know, become an excellent lawyer just by reading a couple of books in your spare time. It's difficult to become a medical doctor reading a couple of books in your spare time. I think it's difficult, even though some people manage uh, to become a decent mathematician uh, just uh, reading a couple of books. Uh, or physicist. Um, um, I think there are certain other domains uh, where, um, uh, for example, I have a keen interest in history um, and sometimes I wish uh, perhaps I had studied history, but at least uh, some of the professional literature um, that historians are interested in is more accessible for somebody who hasn't studied history. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't study history, that's only to say, in my experience, it was useful uh, to uh, spend at least some of my time of uni at university studying things that were specific skills that would make it, uh, th that are difficult to pick up later in life, um, and uh, also uh, skills um, that give you non-trivial insights, give you um, insights that go far beyond what a casual newspaper reader of a serious newspaper could come up with. And so I think looking for non-trivial insights, um, I mean, it, it happened to be the kind of things that I was interested in, but more broadly, I would advise in favor of at least taking a couple of courses that promise non-trivial insights uh, to the casual student. That's great advice. I think that is uh, 
it's really important to stay conscious about uh, achieving those things at university because it's easy to uh, to slide through there and do your assignments and then get uh, have a bachelor's degree and go work but um, making sure that you stay conscious about achieving that is important so I think that's great advice now uh, on to the opportunities that you had in Munich so in, in Munich, I, I had a great opportunity um, uh, to, to work with one of the leading economists in Germany, um, um, Hans-Werner Zinn, who, who, who's a yeah. brilliant academic economist, but also branched out uh, with, with a seminal book um, on the economics of German unification, Kaltstaat. Uh, for any uh, mm -hmm. of the listeners uh, able to read uh, in German. I think it was even translated into English. Uh, and uh, now it's mostly of historic interest, but in the, in the mid-90s when I joined him, it was very much on people's mind. Unification was very much an ongoing process. Um, many good things were achieved. Many mistakes, frankly, were made. Uh, and looking at it uh, uh, um, uh, uh, through the eyes of an economist, uh, and reading his book, I found absolutely fascinating and one of the reasons why I asked to join him and then he kindly accepted me uh, as his PhD student. Okay, and how, what, what would your, why do you think that you got picked? What was your, um, how did you stick out uh, from other applicants uh, for working with him academically? I, I don't know, um, uh, um, you should probably ask him, <laughs> he's still around. Yeah. But the advice I would have to offer there is, is try and work with interesting people. Um, uh, the chances that you gain interesting insights uh, and perhaps become more interesting uh, yourself are much better <laughs> if you start off working with interesting, inspiring people. Um, and I can certainly say that he was interesting and he was inspiring um, and, and he's become a friend. Excellent. And then after that, that's sort of when your entrance into politics started, is that correct? Um, not entirely. Um, uh, uh, at the time, it, it was at the time of a, a kind of early internet bubble. I got lured right. into uh, the venture capital business by some friends oh, of mine. Oh, goodness. Um, and then spent one and a half years trying to invest uh, in young startup companies. And very exciting. Uh, but frankly, um, in the end, the, this early internet bubble burst. Um, so it was also a sobering experience um, in business and economics, uh, I should say. And, uh, and I was lucky because at the time um, when it was still going relatively well, I was contacted by a, a junior minister in the German economics ministry um, uh, to see whether I might like actually to join him with my um, brief but um, a very exciting professional experience and work with him and not least on creating more dynamic German economy. And um, uh, I then decided uh, um, to join him at the, at the ministry. This was Sigmar Mostorf. That's right. So interesting, he reached out to you rather than you reaching out or s someone within his cabinet. Well, I, I, I think it was both ways. We, we bumped into one another and then I knew uh, my predecessor as, as private secretary. Um, and so um, I, I don't even remember how, how exactly it worked, but, uh, but um, in the end we got together. Right, and if when someone uh, applies for a personal consultant role at, at your, uh, like in your office, what do you, what do you look out for? What do you, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, I, I, I think there are two things I, I would mostly look, uh, look for. The first thing is a, a lot of potential. 
because these kind of positions, um, they're positions uh, where um, if things go well, you end up on a fast track in the civil service, but there's no point uh, uh, going for that fast track if you don't have the skills, if you don't, ha don't have the potential um, to go with that. Um, and and uh, uh, the other aspect is you need to be a really, really fast learner uh, for, uh, in those kind of positions because you, you'll be working long hours on very complex problems. And, and so you want somebody uh, who's, who's really, really good. And the second thing I would be looking for, uh, and I, I hope that was the case, I think that was the case for me as well at the time, um, for somebody who really is genuinely interested in public service. Um, who's not uh, somebody who um, maybe wants to do that for one or two years um, and then go off into the private sector immediately uh, and try and convert the insights he's gained into a higher salary, but somebody who has some dedication for public service. I'm not against people um, uh, you know, working, uh, working for a decade in public service and then working in the private sector. Um, I don't have a problem with that at all. But um, it's, it's the kind of position that really only makes sense if you can see yourself um, uh, pursuing a career in the public sector. And so that's uh, this dedication um, uh, to uh, public service. That's also something I'd be looking for. Um, and frankly, in order to do the job well, um, you have to have a passion uh, for the public service. Of course, of course. I think, yeah. Um... You definitely do, given the the number of different uh, positions, political positions that you've had. Uh, one of which was the European Parliament in 2014, what, or your election to the European Parliament in 2014. What what made you want to do that? Um, after um, the uh, last job we talked about, I moved to a um, to the World Bank in Washington D.C. Yeah. Um, and had a had a splendid time there. Um, then I got recruited by a um, up-and-coming um, European think tank in Brussels, uh, and I mentioned that because um, I spent a lot of time, um, uh, four years, um, uh, I think just a little bit more than four years, um, together with my wonderful colleagues there, developing new ideas, uh, economic ideas, economic mostly ideas. for the future of Europe. Um, and uh, so when the opportunity to arose uh, to become a candidate for the European Parliament, um, I saw this as a wonderful opportunity to try and implement or help implement uh, one, one ends up being one of hundreds of parliamentarians, but help imp implement uh, some of these ideas in, in European legislation. Uh, and it turned out I was lucky I was then elected uh, and became a member of um, the Econ Committee, um, uh, mostly dedicated to economic and financial regulatory questions, um, and was indeed able to work on legislation um, that in some instances even had to do uh, with some of the analytical work that I'd done previously. Um, and, and, and furthermore, it was my first real job as a politician. Uh, so, so again, it was... Was this your first public election? It, it, it was the, the, the first and, and to date, if I may say so, the only elected yeah. office uh, I held where I was immediately elected by the public. Of course, I was elected by the um, uh, state assembly in the Saarland yeah. to become um, a minister of finance, but that, that was an election 
um, the uh, where the public right. had any immediate say. Yeah, it was indirect. And how do you look back on uh, on your time in the European Parliament? Of it, like it sounds to me, it sounds so grand. So so you know, I, I've been to the European Parliament, and just sitting in that room gives a feeling of. Um, of immense responsibility with all of these countries uh, coming together and and um, hopefully uh, creating legislation. What what was the any cool anecdotes of of being in the European Parliament? I mean, first of all, it's it's a marvelous cultural achievement. Yeah. And when you sit in the plenary and see um, all these people from from different countries coming together arguing often, frankly, about details yeah. of European legislation uh, for our single market. Um, and to think back what in earlier centuries uh, Europeans were engaged in war and all kinds of horrible conflicts, it's, it's, a, it's a great cultural achievement. Sometimes, of course, it's challenging because of the language barrier. Um, there are more than 20 languages where there's simultaneous translation in the plenary. Um, sometimes uh, you also um, uh, are confronted uh, with history. Uh, I remember a, an instance where I got back from a skiing holiday and sat ne next to a, a, a Hungarian friend of mine and asked him casually, well, what's the highest mountain in Hungary? And, and then he immediately said, and I didn't expect that, well, are you talking about before the Treaty of Trianon or afterwards? <laughs> I quickly ended that conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but still, um, uh, so, um, um, but, but, uh, but uh, um, uh, professionally, it's extremely rewarding because um, it is possible for legislation that you work on to find its own majority in Parliament. Mm -hmm. It's not as if, for example, in, in, in classic um, um, in national parliament, you have a government majority and you have a chief whip and they basically enforce discipline. And if the government wants to pass a law, typically there's a majority for it. Yeah. In the European parliament, it's the relationship between the commission and parliament is not as close so there's no ruling majority. Right, right. And, and so every legislation has to find its own majority. And as a specialist uh, member of parliament working on a particular piece of legislation, if you get along well with some of your fellow colleagues from uh, different parliamentary groups, from different political families, and you have a clear idea of what you want to achieve, you can go a very, very long way to achieving that including then at the negotiation stage with the European Council. And that makes it uh, um, uh, very rewarding, um, even as a backbencher, which I was, um, to work in the European Parliament, because if you were good at building political bridges with the other expert uh, parliamentarians you're working with on legislation, um, one could go a long way. And, uh, and I enjoyed that tremendously. So, so professionally, I found it very rewarding. But also socially, I find it, find it very rewarding. You get all these wonderful people from different walks of life, mm. from different countries. Mm. And uh, I don't know, in the evening, sometimes uh, during a long session, you take a break, uh, you hang out at Parliament's bar um, and, and, and you get to meet somebody new you've never met before, but with this incredible story to tell. 
for example, I, I, I remember a wonderful conversation with a former uh, prime minister um, from, uh, um, uh, from Slovenia right. um, and the wealth of experience that this person brought and talking to him, um, me as a, as a German member of parliament with a different uh, experience, uh, it was amazing. And um, so uh, across party lines, it really was very, very impressive to see what kind of experiences this uh, European Parliament brings together? So, so as you can uh, as you can probably tell, I, I'm still um, quite enthusiastic about the privilege I had of serving in the European Parliament for 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 four and a half years. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. I, I'm uh, going to Google when the next election is so I can put myself up and <laughs> have the same experience. Um, what what happened after that professionally? So, so after that, I was um, recruited as a chief economist um, for um, the then Minister of Finance, Olaf Scholz. He's now our federal chancellor um, to the German uh, um, Ministry uh, of Finance um, in, in Berlin. Okay, and, that was a short, a short appointment or were you there for several years? How, how long? I, I was there for several years. I was there for, for basically three years. Um, and uh, and that was a very good experience as well. Um, uh, uh, really, at the intersection, I would say between politics, um, uh, between administration, and the way that government implements uh, political decisions, and also um, economics as a research discipline. Um, uh, my job there was really at the interface between all these three. Um, and for example, during the COVID crisis, which fell into the time I was working there, I was able to create a, a group of leading German economists um, uh, to advise the government in real time. Because normally uh, economic advice, you, you um, uh, uh, publish lengthy studies, it takes half a year, and then perhaps they, you get a result and then the government uh, tries to think what to do with it. Um, it, it, during COVID, it was extremely important to have uh, really on a weekly basis um, advice from the best uh, um, uh, minds that we could uh, think of. Uh, and, uh, and it was a great team of people, around 20 economists coming together, discussing all the uh, important questions and sometimes helping us develop new ideas and quite often also helping us not going down a certain route because it would have been a mistake if one had thought it through. And, and, and uh, uh, that's not to say we didn't make mistakes at the time. Um, uh, looking back, you can always find mistakes. But uh, that kind of advice was incredibly useful to bring together. And part of my job was to see, well, what's the economist's advice? What are the kind of things that are easily implementable? What are the things that are politically doable? Now, of course, my boss would be mostly doing much of that, um, the minister and the state secretary. But, um, uh, but it was a very, very exciting period. And, uh, and again, I, 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 I wouldn't want to miss that experience. Absolutely. Yeah, really interesting. I think we've spoken a lot about the um, technical aspect of the job of a politician. I think it's fascinating and I can see myself going into uh, politics at some point. Um, another very important aspect or, or job of a politician is also the relationship with the public. I think as we've seen in the extreme example of the US, for example, uh, when 
when politicians or the government even loses the faith of the public, um, that leads to strong uh, issues within society. Um, and politicians are often seen as people who are doing things uh, for expediency because that's what is uh, currently popular, but maybe not best for the country. How, how do you sort of see the balance that a politician has to be in with uh, um, the, the technical aspect of the job, um, uh, listening to experts as we were just speaking about, and then also the relationship with the public. But what's your view on that? Well, I, I think it's fair to say that currently we are in many countries in a difficult situation where um, the complexity of some of the issues we're dealing with Uh, whether it's decarbonization, digitalization, but also some of the demographic challenges, uh, including aging and uh, immigration, integration of, 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 um, of migrants. Um, these are hugely challenging and complex problems. And um, it, it is, it is non-trivial to take sensible decisions that really tackle the problem And then to explain these hopefully sensible solutions yeah. in a way that a broad-based majority in the country feels they're being heard, they're being understood, and the issues at hand are being addressed. And that's a huge challenge, and it's gotten harder. But I think that the, 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 the main challenge is complexity. And um, what uh, what is really hard, and I'm not, I wouldn't say... Um, Um, I'm equally good at all these disciplines. Um, from my um, um, work experience and, and my university studies and so on, I'm probably more of an expert politician. Yeah. So I would say I'm probably um, quite good at um, understanding uh, the uh, um, complexity of the challenges at hand and have a fairly good idea of what might be a, a, a real solution, um, what might just be a gadget that doesn't work. Um, and that's, of course, part of my job as a Minister of Finance. You don't want to spend too much money on things that in the end <laughs> don't work. Um, but um, uh, there are other people and, and there are other people around the cabinet table and I'm absolutely delighted that that's the case, who are much, much closer to what is going on in the cities, in the villages. It's uh, sometimes uh, parts of Zaland are quite rural, even though it's a small country. What is the sentiment? What is really uh, getting uh, people worked up? Um, and how do you explain? And yes, to some extent, tailor policies to what their needs are, but also what their worldview is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so even when you talk about top level state politics, It's a team sport. If you don't bring, I mean, of course, if you're sort of a super politician, you might bring all these skills together, but that's very rare. Um, it's more typical that you need to have a team uh, where the different qualities that you require in order to pursue sound policies, but also communicate them well, and also adjust to, uh, I mean, after all, for good reason, we live in a democracy. It's not the politicians ultimately deciding, but it's voters via their elected representatives in parliament. Um, so to, to really be in tune with what people want, with what they need, bringing all that together um, it, it requires a team effort. 
Um, and I have the great privilege to be working with a, a regional prime minister, a state prime minister, um, who has a, an acute sense of the kind of skill set that is required around the cabinet table. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's fascinating. Also because you've just preempted my next question, uh, which was going to be what what specific characteristics are important to be successful in politics but the, you make it sound like and i think that makes that actually makes perfect sense you need a mixture of different personalities coming together if someone were to be interested in politics <clears throat> it's not that they need to have a specific personality type or specific skills they can they can have different sets of skills that are all important for to make politics work is that right yes but uh, of course there are certain qualities that um, i think uh, are required as a minimum um, and i think one i mean one one quality that is is required as a minimum is you need to be really motivated um, to try and do um, uh, uh, something for the public good if you don't have that um, don't become a politician. Do something yeah. else. You can do great things, but don't become a politician. Secondly, I think you need to enjoy interacting with the public. And that means um, both smaller groups of people, but also larger groups of people. If you don't enjoy that, if you, if you abhor the idea of c confronting smaller or larger group of people, stay, stay out of politics. It doesn't make any sense. So I think that's important. Thirdly, I think it's important you have to enjoy a good argument because it's normal that there are conflicts. It's normal that there are differences in, in opinion and it's normal to have spirited debates. If you don't, if you don't like that, stay away from politics. Um, but also, um, it's not enough to enjoy arguing. Um, I think uh, you also need to enjoy finding solutions, yeah. finding compromises, <laughs> and moving uh, towards the other uh, and uh, trying to bridge the gaps. So if you feel you only ever want to fight, you never want to compromise, you never want to build bridges, you never want to um, create a situation uh, where, where hopefully um, in the end, not only a, a majority of 50% plus one but a large part of the population will see the benefit um, of what you've reached as a compromise, stay out of politics. So, so I think there are certain elements um, that are required in order to, um, uh, at a minimum, in order to be successful in politics. But other than that, um, 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 my view, and I want to make that point even stronger, is we need a, a, a wider diversity of backgrounds, of skill sets, um, of educations, uh, a strange plural, um, in politics in order to be even more successful because our societies have become more diverse. Um, I'm not a great fan, I have to tell you, um, of saying we mechanically need to say there are X percent of the population who enjoy that particular characteristic and that's why you need X percent of that, uh, pers uh, of that kind of background in Parliament. I think that's going a bit far. But I am definitely conscious um, that we need to recruit both in public administration, but also in politics um, more widely uh, than we currently do. And um, this is obvious for gender. This is obvious for ethnic background. But I think it's much more than that. It's much more than that. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's important um, to, uh, to, to reach out 
and encourage more people from um, a more diverse set of backgrounds uh, to engage in politics and then to be successful at it. Uh, I think it can help a lot in order to bridge the gap which we're currently experiencing between a, 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 in, in some corners of society an angry public um, and, um, and, if you will, the ruling elites, which aren't that elite, frankly, after all. Okay, yeah, hopefully this podcast can reach a couple of people and, and motivate them to get involved in politics. Everyone should obviously be voting anyway, but um, get involved professionally as well. Thank you very much, Jacob, for agreeing to this and spending the time, uh, and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you, and all, all the very best. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Oscar, for this great interview. You gave proper journalist vibes today interviewing a politician, and as a politics nerd, I really enjoyed it. I hope the listeners did too. Uh, it was really interesting to hear from like a quite powerful politician about the inner workings of politics. I found it really fascinating to hear about the division of technocrats and the people's persons, um, if you will, in a working government. Um, one needs the other, which is kind of obvious, but I just wasn't aware of it. Um, and he put it very nicely. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that he has he recognizes himself that he's an expert politician and is happy that he's surrounded by sort of people's persons, as you called it. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And that's what he was saying, that different qualities are important to form a good government. Um, I think the other thing that that was really like plausible to me was working with interesting people is important. I think that may play a massive role in academia, but also for jobs. It's like, it's important to surround yourself with people that stimulate you intellectually and that you find interesting and that you want to create change with or, or go to work with and, and finish a project with to be successful. So I thought that was also a good thing to keep in mind when looking for jobs and stuff. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Well, thank you, Oscar, for interviewing and doing such a great job. Thank you, dear listeners, for listening. And as always, we're very happy about any feedback through email or social media. 